This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Is God the ultimate conspiracy theory it's interesting i hadn't really thought of it that way it may not quite meet the technical definition of a conspiracy but it's a kind of overarching explanation for everything the world is pretty random and that doesn't feel right so much of life is random and we're not good at figuring that out why do we believe the things we do no matter how crazy they are Why do people fall for debunked conspiracy theories? And why do some people fall in line with the extreme ends of political ideologies? Here to answer all that and more is famed science writer and skeptic Michael Shermer. Michael has gained prominence and renown as the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, which investigates pseudoscience and supernatural claims. He's written more than a dozen books and often takes part in debates about religion and magical thinking and all that sort of stuff. He was co-host and co-producer of the Exploring the Unknown TV series and now has his own podcast, The Michael Shermer Show, which has had some of the world's biggest names and scientists and things on for debates. It's also on YouTube under the Skeptic branch, so do go check out his work. It's really brilliant and makes for fascinating listening. We'll talk today, or we have spoken today, about the kinds of people who fall for false conspiracy theories and also about when conspiracies turn out to be true, which, you know, you don't get the theories about conspiracies unless sometimes real conspiracies actually happen and get found out and all of this is brilliantly explained in michael Shermer's new book just coming out conspiracy why the rational believe the irrational so get that in all the normal places i loved it please support the podcast on patreon.com slash andrew gold and leave a review on apple tell some friends about the podcast spread the word out big episodes are coming up with aryan brotherhood founder michael thompson but now you're on the edge of conspiracy theory and extreme belief with michael Shermer. Michael, I've just um, watched your Neil deGrasse Tyson interview. Um, how did you think that went? Were you happy with it? It was it was fascinating to watch. Oh, yeah, I loved it, of course. Yeah, Neil's a longtime good friend, and he's always an entertaining conversationalist and a smart guy. And uh, his new book is actually uh, a little out of the ordinary for him. It's not just science. He also delves into uh, culture and politics, as you probably noted, and race and gender are his probably two most controversial chapters in there. And I agreed with him. Uh, he and I are on the same page on race. You know, it's a it's definitely a spectrum. You know, what is what is uh, Tiger Woods? You know, he calls himself a Kabbalasian, right? He's, he's Caucasian, Asian, and black, and would prefer not to really be classified as a race at all. And Neil, for the most part, has been like that. You know, he doesn't consider himself a black astrophysicist. He's just an astrophysicist. You know, he's not the black Carl Sagan, you know, he's just his own man. And, uh, you know, and I, and he told, he's told me before over the years that he gets offers from black organizations, you know, to give him awards or come speak or, you know, as the black this and the black that scientist, astrophysicist, science communicator, whatever. And he, he declines them because he doesn't want to be the black guy. He just wants to be the guy, right? So it was interesting that he did venture into that and, and talk about race in his book and a little bit in our podcast. The gender one <laughs> that was kind of interesting. He yeah, he's a little let's just say he's more woke than I am. <laughs> and, uh, he put me as the old man on the porch yelling at the kids to get off the lawn. 
<laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because I, I was wondering how I should bring it up. Because, but that was an interesting thing because I guess, I mean, I, I don't know anywhere near as much as you do about all, you know, ways of arguing and ways we believe things and all that kind of thing. But I guess that would be classified as an ad hominem attack going for the person rather than what you were saying. Oh, well, it, but <laughs> it came after a long thread there. Yeah, a little bit, I guess. But, um, well, you know, I guess when you say you're on the wrong side of history or you're on the right side of history, it is you are making an argument that's not purely based in reason, and I, I do that too. Um, like, I think the Supreme Court decision about Roe is on the wrong side of history, that the trend has been toward pro-choice and away from pro-life, including in the science behind it and so on. Neil, near as I can figure... He's arguing about purely uh, gender issues. That is, to whatever extent somebody subjectively feels like something inside, regardless of their biology. And I'm probably leaning more toward the, uh, you know, biology largely drives gender. I mean, most people born are born as male or female. Um, the vast majority, you know, 99 point, whatever it is, 7, 5 percent. <laughs> You know, it's a tiny fraction. It's a you know vanishingly small fraction of people who are intersex. So you know, in an, in an evolved um, a re sexually reproducing species like ours, most mammals, um, you, you just have males and females. You know, what one body makes tiny gametes called sperm, and the other body makes large gametes called eggs, and the rest of the body is largely designed around that function and. From that spins off lots of different characteristics about you know, secondary sex characteristics and what you look like and how you act and so on. And you can then you know kind of go down the road of evolutionary psychology and talk about how testosterone, a lot of testosterone, which boys get in puberty, leads to all these secondary sex characteristics plus psychological um, uh, uh, characteristics that you know on average women are, are less likely to have or people with less testosterone are less likely to have. I think what Neil is going for there is in the long arc of the moral universe, since, uh, you know, he had me on his show to talk about the moral arc years ago, um, isn't it better to be more tolerant of people that are different from us? And so here, here's where the, ru the rubber meets the road, I think. Um, uh, to, in my mind, uh, activists tend to over confuse rights with facts. And in this case, it wouldn't matter how many people are trans. You know, they, trans rights are human rights. Uh, they can't be. They should not be discriminated against uh, based on anything. Uh, and you know, and I think Neil's leaning in that direction. Uh, that uh, in the other direction. That is to say, if there's more of them, and if we recognize it as a spectrum, and that it's normal, it's not abnormal, it's not a you know weird genetic anomaly. It's just perfectly part of the normal spectrum then people will more likely treat them with respect and dignity and rights and so on. And, uh, you know, my counter to that is it, it shouldn't matter. I mean, whatever the number is, is the number. And science can't get in the business of saying, well, we got to increase the number or decrease the number because we like trans or we don't like trans, right? The, no the number is whatever it is, depending on how you define it, trans. So, you know, so I think that's the, uh, the confusion most activists make. It's, it's interesting. There was this Bertrand Russell quote, what you were just saying um, reminded me of it. It's one of my favorite quotes. Never let yourself be diverted either by what you wish to believe or by what you think would have beneficent social effects if it were believed, but look only and solely at what are the facts. Because is that a mistake that I guess some people who call themselves progressives make is the word progressive implies that yeah, it's always moving forward in a good way for society, but we know we know from history that society doesn't always move in a, in a good way from our subjective opinion, does it? Um, well, I argue that it, it, it does in a kind of a herky-jerky, three steps forward, two steps back manner, um, that if you look at the long uh, view, say the last three centuries since the Enlightenment, there has been a lot of progress. Not inevitable. We made it happen by, you know, arguments and disputation and marching and protesting and changing laws. And, you know, that's how it happened. The abolition of slavery, the abolition of torture. Um, uh, you know, the civil rights, women's rights, gay rights, LGBTQ rights, animal rights, and now maybe AI rights at some point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that that's kind of the arc of the moral universe. It's it's real. And not not some inevitable force of history move, marching along. It, it depends entirely on what we do. 
So if you have a Putin-like character, you can reverse the trend for sure. You can go back to you know wars and conflicts and and, and acquisitions of territory and so on. And in this case, the Supreme Court, you know, well they threw they didn't ban abortion. I don't know why this meme got started. There's even a book about this, uh, and they didn't. They just put it back to the states, and a lot of the states are trying to ban it. Okay, so but that's not banning abortion, but that's the wrong direction. In my opinion, and it's not just my opinion. I mean, as we saw in Kansas, most Republicans think, well, you know, banning abortion completely is uh, is a big mistake because that you know we've come so far with women's rights. And you know, I'm, I'm fond of quote, quoting uh, Thomas Sowell: "There are no solutions; they're just compromises." And in this case, you have conflicting rights. You know, the rights of the mother to choose, the rights of the fetus to live. The fetus, of course, has no control, so the state steps in. The state does do this, like with um, certain religious groups that refuse medical treatment for a dying child because it goes against their scripture. Sometimes the state will step in and say, okay, we are taking over your kid because this is wrong. Now, that you know, that's quite an intervention into religious freedom. But here the state is deciding we, we have to protect the, the child. And I think Republicans would say, well, that's what we're doing here. The state is stepping in to protect the fetus. Okay. That seems clear enough, but what about the rights of the woman to choose? You know, and uh, of course, as we've seen recently, you know, my body, my choice. Uh, you know, the, the the parties flip <laughs> depending when you talk about vaccines or or abortions, right? And uh, anyway, so I, uh, you know, I think people get confused about that. Yeah, I suppose that I think the difference is that I mean, and I think I imagine you do as well. And I don't want to offend any any uh, listeners who think otherwise. That um, you know, the the vaccine is not supposed to be harmful, whereas it can be very harmful. Or, or I can't even imagine you know carrying a baby for nine months of my life and how that changes your body forever. That that's definitely a huge difference. Well, personally, right. I I'm pretty libertarian in my personal attitudes toward other people. As long as they don't hurt anybody, then it's none of my business. Now, again, the Republican pro-lifer might say, well, they are hurting somebody. They're killing the fetus. It's murder. Okay, <laughs> but it's not murder like <clears throat> other forms of, of homicide are. You know, it's it's its own case. You know, it's not like this or like that. It's its own thing. And, you know, women don't have abortions because of hardness of heart. You know, we hate babies or we're going to kill them. You know, it's almost always economically driven. They're just, you know, it's mostly poor women, women of color. Uh, there's no uh, father in the picture. Um, the biological father's gone. You know, there's no economic opportunities. It's just it's just going to be a massive life changer, and they have to make a decision. Why? Sh wh what is my business to step in there? You know, middle class white guy. You know, hey, you shouldn't do that. I know what's best for you and your fetus. No, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. And it's not right for me to to do that. I, that's my thoughts on that one. Is it possible with uh, someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's one of the smartest people on the planet, uh, and I, and I want to get into your your book as well um, because. Is it possible they're led by certain cognitive biases that they're led even more by cognitive biases sometimes because they have the intelligence to argue one way or the other? Oh well, for for sure, as I argued in my first book, why people believe we're things, why smart people believe we're things, because they're better at rationalizing and justifying beliefs that they hold for non-smart reasons. And most of us, this most of us, not just Neil, uh, any anybody um, who has certain positions, say about religious beliefs or political beliefs. You know, Neil and I talked about this a little bit. You know, what's the right income tax, upper bracket income tax? Well, there is no right number, right? I mean, the, the electorate decides who we're going to put in office to try to lower those or raise those, Republicans and Democrats, respectively. Or what's the right percentage or raw number of immigrants? You know, Biden just announced 125,000 for this year. Okay. Why? Maybe it should be 100,000. Maybe it should be 200,000, you know. And so you, you can kind of analyze it scientifically and say, well, if you allow more in, this is the likely effects. If you allow fewer in, this is the likely effects. But but what you want as a society is not determined through some empirical experiment. We, we just kind of have our opinions and we have elections. So the elections are kind of the experiment. <laughs> and you see what the results are. 
you know, so, um, yeah, I don't think what, uh, the way Neil reasons about these things is any different from the way the rest of us do it. I saw um, Tom Cruise, because I was reading your book and I was reading about confirmation bias. I should say the name of the, of, of the book, actually, when I'm saying this, which is Conspiracy, Why oh. the Rational Believe the Irrational. I, you mean this? It? There it is. <laughs> My new book. I should have a picture in the back there. I should have a poster, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get you a, a poster there, yeah. Um, but people should get it. I, I really, really enjoyed it, and it taught me so much in, in words that even someone like me could understand. Just as um, I was reading that, I watched this interview with Tom Cruise, where he was talking about um, psychiatry and, and how he hates psychiatry because he's a Scientologist. And he said, uh, I, I always had a feeling that I didn't like psychology and psychiatry. I always had this feeling. And then I read about it and found out about it. And that made me realize even more that how right I was. Is that like a perfect example of the cognitive bias you describe? Oh, it is. Absolutely. Right. I mean, what does Tom Cruise know about the history of psychology? Nothing, right? Other than what L. Ron Hubbard told him, or I guess uh, David Miscovich. I don't think I don't think Cruise was around when Hubbard was still alive, or maybe it was at the very end of his life. But in any case, yeah, Hubbard had a, a bizarre relationship with um, psychiatry. And ironically, when he died and the autopsy was done on him, he was, you know, bloated with antidepressants and other um, medical uh, treatment drugs and you know, so so much for that you know if somebody can get value out of something some act some kind of behavioral therapy that h helps them avoid having to take medications well that's i see that as good um and to the extent that scientology works for some people you know again who am i to say uh, but in science we want to know if it really works right i mean you know, cognitive behavior therapy is probably the only really tested and you know, kind of gold standard randomized controlled trials test at, that works better than any other form of therapy. Um, and we don't have anything like that for, for, for Scientology. We have anecdotes, you know, people who say my life was greatly improved, you know, because they have, like here in L.A., they have, um, you know, centers for alcoholism and drug um, addiction and things like that, and they do help people. And um, I remember I'll tell you a little story. One of my best friends, Michael Coles, who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, he ran against Newt Gingrich back in 96. And anyway, he was a longtime cycling buddy. So we would hang out together and he invited me to Thanksgiving dinner one time in Atlanta. And there was Isaac Hayes. He had met Isaac, who you know, the famous um, Emmy Award winning singer and or Grammy Award winning singer. The, yeah, South Park, he was chef on South Park. He won a Grammy for Theme from Shaft back in the 70s. I mean, he was a superstar. Uh, and then he lost it all, and then he kind of relaunched his career. Well, it turns out it was Scientology that did that. And, uh, you know, I asked him, I'm sitting across from him at the Thanksgiving dinner table, and it's like, uh, you know, I didn't say, hey, I'm Mr. Skeptic, and I think Scientology is a bunch of bullshit. I just said, what what, what do you get out of Scientology? What does it do for you? Why, do you, why are you a member? And he told me because, you know, I lost everything. I had nothing. My life was in the toilet and, you know, and alcohol and drugs, sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, the whole thing. And he said, and they pulled me out and my life is better. It's like, okay, you know, really, there's not much to say to that. And it's like, well, good. I mean, that's a good thing, right? And uh, so, you know, but of course, in science, we want to know, yeah, but does it really work? Like, could, could you say, you know, that 60% of people who practice Scientology practices, you know, one hour a day, six days a week, you know, they, you know, their depression decreases by X percent or their sleep patterns improve or their level of stress hormones go down or whatever the metric is, right? You got to operationally define what it is you want to um, uh, test. And I say this about meditation too, you know, my friend Deepak Chopra, he's into it, but not just personally into it. He thinks it's good for other people. Like, like everybody should do meditation or most people can get benefit. Not everybody, but I'm one of those that I just don't, I'm just not into it, but other people are. And, you know, if some significant percentage of the population, maybe the same percent who take um, psychiatric drugs, psychiatric drugs, maybe, you know, if, if they can avoid that, that would be good. It doesn't work for me. I, I've always said about mindfulness and meditation and things like that, because a lot of people like it, I guess, because it just gives them a clear sense of the now and the, I don't know. But I like that my brain is like going bam, 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 bam. And I like being stressed out in a way. Do you know what I mean? Do you get that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, when I, uh, I do the classic when I'm trying to meditate, you know, like, a, oh, my God, I'm so <laughs> bored. <laughs> me too. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, it's the thought flooding and everybody has it and the people that meditate say, well, you just have to work through that and it takes a while. And Okay, well, you know, I go for a long bike ride by myself and that's my meditation. I'm told that's not really meditation. Well, okay, whatever. It works for me, makes me less stressed out and, and makes me happier for the day and whatever. So, you know, so but, but Deepak, you know, he actually has run experiments. Like, let's have at his, his – he's got this clinic – he's got this center down in Carlsbad, California – you know, let's have, um, you know, one group of people that come in and they work with professional meditators and another group works with amateur meditators and a third group, um, they don't meditate at all. And then let's compare them. And, you know, they draw blood, they, you know, the stress hormones go down and whatever the psychological metrics are, you know, my sleep is better, or my depression is decreased, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, so if it works, okay, good, that's fine. This placebo as well, and I suppose the, that it's hard. I suppose you'd have to account for that because there'd be people who feel like they're doing a thing, which is meditation, and people who feel like they're not. So the placebo might affect that. Yeah, that's right. You, the, you know, it's, I'm fond of saying that about diets. It probably doesn't matter what, which diet you're on, but that you're on a diet. Like, ooh, I'm doing something about this uh, problem I think I have, and I want to change my life. So, okay, and I'm doing something. I'm eating all meat or all carbs or whatever your thing is. And then what happens with people that are on diets is, you know, they also start exercising more. Like, ooh, I'm, I'm losing weight. I think I'll start working out. And then they, and that improves the diet. And, that, and then they work out more. And then they get better clothes. They feel, you know, they walk straight up, upright more because they feel confident. You know, there's like 10 different things that happen at the same time. So from a scientist perspective, it's hard to, um, you know, control for the variables when it's an individual and they're not in a lab, right? Uh, and it's like that for, for everything else. All, all problems in social science are, are kind of a rat's nest of interacting variables that could be causing the effect you want to measure, right? So it's hard to control for those. But you can do it. Natural experiments are a way to do that, right? You see people that are already doing X, and then you see what they smoke or they exercise X number of hours a, a week or whatever. Then you see what the outcomes are. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? the internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. 
I, what I really like about your book as well is is and and the way the way you talk is that you, you don't just like go in heavy handed with with skepticism. I think you give you give maybe conspiracy theorists you know room to breathe um, by saying you know conspiracies are real, conspiracies do happen, some conspiracy theories are true, and 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 some are not. So I mean, conspiracies are happening all the time, right? Yeah, of course, right. Yeah, so that's part three of my three-part uh, sort of three-legged stool theory of, of conspiracism. One is proxy conspiracism. That is, whatever the specific conspiracy theory is, whether it's true or not, it's probably less important than what it, it's a proxy for. It's a stand-in for something. That I don't like big corporations. I don't like big government agencies. I don't like rich people. I don't trust the, you know, the CDC. I don't trust the government. I don't – whatever. And and then the you know kind of tribal conspiracism, which is the conspiracy stands for something endorsed by our group, our tribe, our religion, our political party, or whatever. You know, so take QAnon and PizzaGate and the rigged election, all that whole kind of cluster. Uh, you know, does Ted Cruz really believe that the election was rigged, or you know, would just name anybody uh, in the kind of Trump? arm of the Republican Party who say, yeah, I think the election was rigged and I think, you know, Trump is fighting against the deep state QAnon people and all that. Um, do they really believe that? I don't know. I, I suspect probably not in the in the same way you say, well, I believe in the germ theory of disease or I believe in free market capitalism, a conservative might say. I think it's a it's a tribal thing. It's like, well, this is what our group believes. You know, Trump says it's true, so he's he's our leader of our group, so we're going to go along with that. Whether it's true or not is kind of beside the point. And then uh, my constructive conspiracism, the third leg, is that enough conspiracy theories turn out to be true. That is, there are conspiracies, two or more people acting in secret to gain an unfair or illegal advantage over somebody else or some other group. Those happen all the time. I mean, just kind of open the newspaper <laughs> and, uh, you know, inside trading and by Wall Street or some corporation cheating, uh, you, know, stand, uh, you know, regulatory standards or, you know, government agencies like the CIA. You know, I, I just I have a lot of whole chapter on all the stuff going on in the 50s, 60s and 70s, like MK Ultra, you know, dosing U.S. citizens with LSD mind control experiments, the whole, um, you know, Operation Paperclip, which was to get uh, these ex-Nazis on our side before the Russians get them. Werner von Braun being the most famous, but there's hundreds of them. You know, biological weapons scientists, chemical weapons scientists. I mean, they were Nazi scientists working on deadly gas to kill, you know, they were probably going to use against the Russians. They ended up not doing so, but they might have, or, you know, nuclear weapons or whatever. We got, we got a lot of those. And they were this. They they did something. They things they did were pretty much the same as the the, the people we tried at Nuremberg and executed for war crimes. <laughs> you know, the CIA said, "Well, hang on, before you execute them, maybe we could use them." <laughs> you know, just in case, because the Cold War was coming. Everybody saw it, right? So it's like, okay, or rigged elections. You know, rigged. Well, the CIA did get involved in a lot of um, sort of South American dictatorship elections in which it was a fascist dictator versus a communist dictator. And fascist dictators are friendlier to U.S. Uh, business interests than communist dictators who may, who may, if they get into power, nationalize the oil company we have down there that we're funding, and then we're screwed. So let's get the fascist guy and give him money, and then at least he's you know, he's a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch, as they say. And the CIA did do that. I mean, there's a, there's a whole series of assassinations of foreign leaders until Reagan outlawed it in, in the, I think it was 84, Congress passed the law. You can't, it's illegal to assassinate foreign leaders. <laughs> oh, you mean it was legal? <laughs> yeah, apparently so. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and famously Castro, there was, you know, you know, dozens of attempts to assassinate Castro and just crazy ideas about how to, how to get, a, get do away with him. I mean, he himself said, if, I, if, if you know, surviving assassination attempts was an Olympic sport, I'd get the gold medal, <laughs> right? Th that's our government doing this, right? So it's understandable why people are suspicious and don't trust corporations and governments and anybody with power and money. Yeah, and I, I suppose I want to be kind to – it's the YouTube viewers who tend to be you know, uh, more conspiratorial than my audio listeners, and I think that's quite typical across – podcasts and things and that's why I'm, I'm trying to look at the the, the kinder aspects uh, or be kind to them in that in that respect and i, I think you also wager i mean you you don't wager you write that it's um 
then it makes sense that we might believe in conspiracies on evolutionarily, right? Right. So I talk a lot about uh, in that chapter on the negativity bias. That is, uh, uh, pains hurt twice as much as gains feel good. Losses hurt twice as much as gains feel good. It's called loss aversion in behavioral economics. Get somebody to make an investment. You got the payoff has to be twice as what the feel twice as good as what the loss would feel pain painful. And there's a good reason for that, that, you know, you, it's too, it's very easy to lose what you have. It's hard to gain a tiny little bit. So progress comes in slow incremental stages. Losses can happen immediately, overnight. You know, collapse of the stock market, you have a stroke, a heart attack, uh, your spouse leaves you, you lose your job. You know, instantly your life is, you know, changes dramatically. Whereas, you know, maybe I get a 7% raise to match inflation every year in my job and 30 years from now I'll be making X. That's boring. Right, so we don't really pay attention to the kind of slow, gradual change, and that, and there's a good evolutionary reason for that, right? Entropy, the second law of thermodynamics, it just shit happens. There's far more ways to die than there are for life to get a little bit better, and uh, so we pay attention to those. And in in a social primate species like ours, coalitions of other people, either in our group or in other groups. It are potentially dangerous because people really do gossip about other people. They really do conspire to gain a slight little advantage over somebody else in a very game theoretic model, right? I can like a tit for tat prisoner's dilemma kind of thing where, you know, if, uh, if I hold back just a little bit, I gain like a 1% advantage over you in the long run, that'll be good. And maybe the two of us do it against you. And pretty soon we have a conspiracy, right? So I'm, I'm arguing that our, uh, that we have an evolved cognition for conspiracism. It makes sense to be on the alert for other people conspiring to do things against you. So, you know, the thing that, you know, that little line's not mine. I think it was Kurt Cobain or he got it from somebody, you know, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you because <laughs> sometimes they yeah. are. No, absolutely. And you also write that, you know, if you see a, a rustling, you hear a rustling in a bush, uh, it better to presume it's a snake than the wind. If you, you know, because if you're wrong and it's the wind, it doesn't really matter. If you're wrong and it's a snake, that you're dead. That's it, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So it's a signal detection problem. Uh, that is to say, um, you can make type one and type two errors. Type one error is a false positive. You think something is real. It turns out it's not. That tends to be a low cost error um, versus not recognizing a real threat, uh, which is a type two error. A, uh, and that can take you out of the gene pool. So that that's my general argument for why, why we believe weird things in the first place, just because we believe things. And when you can't quite make out what it is, probably better to err on the side of it being something dangerous as opposed to not. So while most people are good people and they're not conspiring to do you harm, some might. <laughs> there are some that are doing that. And so it pays to be maybe just kind of cautiously uh, conspiratorial or you know, kind of maybe just a little paranoid or just be a little suspicious, you know, like Reagan with Gorbachev, you know, trust to verify, but you know, trust, but verify, right? And this is always a problem with nuclear weapons, uh, for example, or uh, anything, germ warfare, chemical warfare. You know, we don't want to do it. It's nasty, but the other guy might, right? It's called the security dilemma. And if they do it, then we better do it. And before you know it, you're, you have an arms race. So we have these kind of evolutionary arms races like that. Does it suggest, does this suggest that conspiracy theorists are, are, you know, a little bit more paranoid than those who are not conspiracy theorists? Are they, I think there was something in your book about them being more jealous of, of uh, spouses and things like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there are um, temperament differences, personality trait differences. Some people have a higher locus of self-control, others a lower you know, if I feel like I don't have control of my life, I'm more sus susceptible to thinking other people are pulling the strings and making things happen. So anybody out of power thinks people in power have more control. Uh, anybody that, you know, by temperament, they tend uh, to feel like they have less self-control or more conspiratorial. Um, other things like education does attenuate conspiracism a little bit, but not by that much. <laughs> You know, in other words, you could have a PhD and there's still plenty of conspiracy theorists amongst PhDs, but but fewer than there would be in college grads and fewer still than if compared to high school grads. Right. So education attenuates a little bit. Race is not a predictor of of conspiracism overall, but it predicts 
what kind of conspiracy theories people embrace. Like, so I talk about African Americans being more uh, suspicious of the federal government, particularly, you know, like because of the Tuskegee uh, medical experiments in which um, treatments for syphilis were withheld so that the government could track the progress of syphilis in these African American um, Tuskegee um, patients. And, um, you know, they, they died. I mean, this is, you know, pretty horrific. And this is, you know, mid 20th century, right? So this is not like, you know, two centuries ago. And so when the government CDC says, hey, we got some great vaccines for you, it's like, well, so African Americans are a little more suspicious of the COVID-19 vaccines than whites. Whites, on the other hand, are, are more suspicious about the government taking away our uh, Second Amendment rights for guns and you know, want to turn America into this kind of socialist, communist country, or Obama's building FEMA camps. You know, FEMA. FEMA is a whole source of of conspiracism. FEMA camps in Texas and so on, and they'll 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 pass around pictures of ranches or whatever, or some helicopter. Go there, it is. <laughs> you know, so uh, again, race is a is a proxy for specific conspiracy theories, not overall conspiracies. On that note, I mean, the last person I had on to talk about conspiracy theories was Mike Rothschild, who I, I know you quote in your book and you know him. And and I've always been very suspicious of conspiracy theories. Do you imagine that Jewish people might be uh, suspicious of conspiracy theories because of always being sort of the butt of the conspiracy theory? Oh, yes. Yes. They're hypersensitive about that because of the long history of this. This goes back centuries. Um, if the, you know, the Jewish, the, you know, the blood libel, the Jews are, are killing. Well, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Who, you know, who killed our Lord? It was the Jews, you know, which I never really understood. This is the dumbest conspiracy theory. I mean, Jesus was Jewish, yeah. right? There, there were no Christians. <laughs> and in any case, as Christians believe, this had to happen, right? I mean, God uh, brought this about. So, because we are born in sin, and we need to be forgiven, and He sacrificed His only begotten Son. You know, John three, uh, three, three, twelve, whatever, three sixteen. John three sixteen. You see all the football games. You know, <laughs> you know, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, so you may be saved and have forever life, and so on. I'm not quoting that quite right, but if it had to happen. And and somehow the Jews were involved. You should be thanking them. This is part of the plan. It's part of God's plan. But instead, you know, of course, the Jews got blamed for anything bad that ever happened. And just like witches, you know, witchcraft is a is a causal theory of things that happen: plagues, disasters, floods, you know, uh, starvation. You know, just uh, starvation of people. Crops fail anything accidents it was the jews right that that was a very common one and then it was the witches and the witch theory of causality lasted you know a couple centuries until it finally uh, came to an end after salem here and and around around the same time in europe um, but those are all displaced by scientific theories of causality which are better because you can test them and you know it's objectively true that women can't actually fly on brooms right so you know kind of having some uh, a connection to reality uh, also helps, but yeah. So Jews, of course, yeah, because and still right now, I mean, it's just it's, it's, it's a current news story. You know, the Jews are behind this or that, um, including COVID or the vaccines or the five G technology or you know whatever the media. Yeah, and this is something I often try to explain to again, it's the YouTube community who are very nice people, and they often say, "Hey, Andrew, have you considered that actually this is happening?" And, th and all these conspiracies, and it's it's hard to explain that. Well, the thing is, the most of my life, if I followed those conspiracies through and find the thing that connects everything, there's either uh, Jewish people or Jewish names. There's something Jewish there, which always makes me go, "Oh, well, hang on a minute." And and I've I've often said, you know, if there was a Jewish conspiracy. I feel like I'm the only one who's missing out on it. Like they haven't let me into the club if they're all getting together. I can imagine them all, I, my conspiratorial right. mind, they're all getting together going, let's give this guy this job and that guy that job. Not Andrew, he's a bit weird and I'm not let in. God, is, is it just this need to have a bogeyman, I suppose, over the years and, and Jews were just that minority in, in, in Middle Ages? Right. Yes, and it was fueled further by the fact that Jews were excluded from most professions, so they migrated toward professions that were not being filled, like being a middleman in a financial transaction, 
where you know usury was supposedly an immoral thing but you know if you're going to lend somebody money as a middle person you got to charge for it uh and you, and then you got to get paid back and so on and it, you know Jews filled that role in the early development of market economies and therefore they were you know somehow that seemed unfair you know all you're doing is moving like computer equivalent you're just moving binary digits around in a screen you know what are you you know you're not doing real labor therefore there's something suspicious about that you're taking an unfair cut of the of the money or whatever well you know today we're we're used to the idea of credit and debt and paying interest and you know that's pretty common now but back in the day it, it was not at all common and it seemed like people were getting money unfairly and it was the jews so again they just got blamed for that and of course during the black death poisoning the wells and you know just it just goes on and on learned elder the protocols of the learned elders of zion that 1903 hoax russian hoax in which supposedly the jewish leaders were plotting in secret to control the world and then that got picked up by hitler in the 1920s with the stab in the back um conspiracy theory about why did germany lose the war i mean i, I talk about this in the book too because of the first i have a first world war you know the the conspiracy that launched that was the you know, assassination of franz ferdinand that brought uh, austria hungary into then then germany and then russia and then in france britain and eventually the united states it became a world war um you know that whole thing was you know germany finally surrendered even though no uh foreign troops had been on their own soil it just seemed to the general public who were not aware of what was actually going on behind the scenes and you know the government was aware german government was aware that they were going to lose and they were running out of material and and men and money and so on so they decided to cut their losses and just take up make a peace treaty uh, but the general public didn't see that all they they th saw was well we were winning and then all of a sudden we quit who 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 made that happen oh the jews and then Hitler picked up on that with the stab in the back. The November criminals, they were called, because the Russians, the Jews, it, you know, it was all conflated. And then he, you know, fueled that all the way into the Holocaust. And, I mean, it just goes right up to current events. You know, Iran and you know would like to wipe out Israel off the map. They've said so, right? Because Why? Because they're Jewish. <laughs> it's just astonishing. And now, even like just right now, the the whole anti-Zionism, you know, this is just a cloak for anti-Semitism, right? Well, no, it's not the Jews. It's Israel and all the bad things they're doing to Palestine and Arabs. Okay, just set set that aside as a kind of general political debate. Uh, but but behind it is that those Jews are still up to no good. And uh, it's it's still a form of anti-Semitism. Is there a way to, for, for people, and how might people go about criticizing Israel uh, in, in a way that is just anti-Zionist or anti-Israel, not anti-Jewish. Yeah, well, just do it in a way that you would criticize anybody else. Like in the United States foreign policy, somebody like a, a Noam Chomsky or a Oliver Stone would criticize U.S. foreign policy. Uh, and no one thinks that they're being anti-Semitic or anti-American. Well, maybe they, they are considered anti-American. I don't know. But, you know, there are legitimate criticisms of U.S. foreign policy, including all the way up to, you know, what Putin is up to and the things we've done with Ukraine, or if you want to go back to the Afghanistan war, how we funded Afghans during the Russian invasion of Afghanistan, or you know we funded uh, Saddam Hussein before you know back in the 80s against the Mujahideen, and again back to the CIA, you know we're kind of secretly funding uh, you know dictators that are later our enemies, but at the time they're our friends. Right. So there's much to criticize there. Uh, I think you just do it by saying uh, if, if it's Israel, we're criticizing Israel. Stop. Don't even use the word Zion. Right. Because it's you know, closely loaded with other um, historical things. So just say, you know, is it is it OK to criticize Israel, Israel foreign policy? Yeah. Like any other country. Yeah. It's when they start questioning its right to exist. And I, I don't think I've ever heard that about another country. I've never heard like, oh, no. the bloody Kosovo. It's, why does Kosovo, <laughs> it shouldn't exist. Like no one cares about its existence. And that Kosovo is a much more recent country. So right. I suppose that's yeah, exactly. a weird thing to do. Right. But then when we get things that we think either might be anti-Semitic or, or back onto the conspiratorial topic, things like QAnon, uh, you know, what what should be done with social media in terms of clamping down on these things? Is it right for them to do that? I mean, an example last the other year was, you know, COVID. Uh, a lot of the stuff was being 
banned relating to COVID being made in a lab, was it? Or, or it could have been a lab in China. And now that's quite a, a an acceptable theory. So what do we do with all this? Yeah, well, let it play out. Don't ban it. Um, I'm pretty pretty uh, libertarian in, in regard to free speech uh, for good reason, because, because of what you just said. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty pretty much banned to discuss the lab leak theory of COVID. Then all of a sudden it was okay, you know, because John Stewart goes on the Daily Show or whichever show that was he was on and said, you know, it's, it's probably a lab. What? And then all of a sudden everybody's talking about that again. <laughs> it's like, what happened? And, you know, it's kind of a cultural shift. So, uh, you know, my argument is just have other people on. So Joe Rogan has on um, that Robert Malone to talk about vaccines. And whatnot. And, uh, I think he was talking about the possible side effects on heart uh, conditions, right? Well, it's not his job really to you know be 60 minutes and have on this guy and that guy and go back and forth and, and let you decide. That, that's not what he does. He just talks to people. And about anything and and so if you want you know the 60 minutes version you can go get that too i just say let all the flowers bloom and you know the only i suppose gray area would be again the incitement of violence you know it's a pretty high standard you know whether trump's speech that morning on january 6th incited violence i think a case could be made although it's a pretty high standard if you actually charged him in a court and he, he was able to defend himself but enough of the people that went there when they were interviewed later themselves tried you know why'd you go there and they said because the boss told us to i mean trump said they're stealing my country and i don't want my country stolen right they believed it um alex jones again i mean why is he being tried uh the people he sent to the families' homes of the victims of sandy hook why aren't those people getting convicted uh for Whatever, you know, they were harassing. I mean, this is why the families are suing Jones because they were harassed by his loony followers that showed up at their house. We should, we should explain just for listeners who don't know about the Sandy Hook thing and like British listeners. Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, Alex Jones said Sandy Hook is a false flag operation. Okay. This, this is kind of a standard conspiracy theory. You know, uh, Pearl Harbor was a false flag operation. Roosevelt knew the Japanese were going to attack or he worked it with the Japanese. So he have an excuse to go to war. Or 9-11 was an inside job, false flag operation uh, orchestrated by the Bush administration so we could invade uh, Iraq. And so Sandy Hook was a school shooting. Yeah, so Sandy Hook was a false flag operation so the Obama administration could confiscate our guns and pass more you know, Second Amendment restrictions and so on. That, that, that's the theory. Now, again, it's not completely crazy because governments do do that, right? They, they do set up false flag operations. The most famous one is, um, is the... Um, Oh, shoot, the name escapes me now. The one that they brought to uh, President Kennedy, Operation Northwoods, uh, in which they his own administration proposed different ways, false flag operations as a pretense to invade Cuba, assassinate Castro, including like shooting down an American Airlines, American airliner with American citizens on it and then blaming it on the Cubans or the Russians or, yeah, things like this. And, you know, to his, there, there was like a laundry list of just crazy shit. And, you know, to his credit, Kennedy said, we're not doing this. This is insane. We can't do this. <laughs> these are these are American citizens protected by the Constitution. That's my job. Right. But but the fact but that his own administration was proposing this. So, again, and what the CIA is doing, okay, let's stage this, let's stage that as a pretense to a coup. That does happen. And so it's not completely crazy. But, you know, so Alex Jones, who, you know, never met a conspiracy theory, didn't like, just goes on and off about uh, Sandy Hook being a false flag operation to confiscate American guns and pass gun control legislation, so on, which is totally false. But his loony followers actually uh, went to the homes of these parents because— at, in addition to the false flag, it was like the, the, so no one actually died there. The, these were crisis actors and and so on. So these poor families who are just you know the the worst grief ever are, are you know these loons are outside their door screaming and yelling at them. You know your you know your your child didn't die, you know, and you're you're just a crisis actor and this kind of crazy stuff. And a lot, so, several of these families had to move their homes many times. Well. Now it's not just speech, right? It's not just, you know, your opinion, my opinion, and, you know, I think you're a loon. You know, they're actually harassing. So if Jones is at least partially responsible for that, which the courts have decided he is, 
where are the where are the lunatic followers? Why aren't they being convicted? You know, the guy that went to the house and tre- trespassed, whatever he did. Maybe they weren't trespassing actually on the on the lawn or on the on the porch. I don't know. I, I get this with um, this, this. So I've interviewed Amanda Knox a couple of times. Who, for, for those who don't know, is she was supposed to have murdered somebody, um, and and. Always, again, in the comments and people email me going, she's a murderer. And she doesn't seem to be a murderer to me. I'm pretty sure she's she's not. But it's a little bit like that. Um, It's almost like Pascal's wage or what we were saying before about the rustling in the bush. It's a little bit of that. I feel like, OK, but if you believe she did it uh, and, she, and, and she did it, well, well, she's out. She's at large. She's probably not going to murder again. Justice hasn't been done, but she's out. But if she didn't do it and she suffered for four years and then you're turning up at her house, she just spent four years in an Italian prison, I should say, you're turning up at her house screaming at her, writing things about her on the internet, so she's suffering yet again from that. What's the, why is it, is it worth it? And do you, do you wonder with those conspiracy theorists who turned up at the Sandy Hook survivor, the, sorry, the parents of the Sandy Hook victims, uh, if we could sit them down, what, what could we say to them and, and how might they react if they realize, oh my God, what have I done? Yeah, well, a lot of the uh, January 6th people, they're saying exactly that. What did I do? I just, I can't believe I believe this bullshit and, and you know, attack my own government. <laughs> and it, pretty much that's what they all say. They're just kind of shocked. It's like no one joins a cult, as I am fond to say. No one in the history of the world has ever joined a cult. They join some group they think is, is the right thing to do. It's going to change the world, help the poor, <coughs> whatever. And then somewhere down the line, they realize, oh, my God, what, what have I done? They hit some tipping point. And then in hindsight, they, you know, they think, well, I should have seen it coming all along. It's hard to see it coming when it's gradual. You know, Trump's he was talking about the rigged election before, even in 2015 when he was you know, close to you know, getting the primary. And even, even in the primaries, you know, when Cruz won Iowa, or was it Ohio? Iowa, I think it was. And, you know, Trump accused him of stealing the election. You know, the, 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 the election was rigged. They, you know, the voting machines flipped it to Cruz. And we, I demand a recap. We should march on, on you know, march down there. And they're stealing our election. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was the same tweets, right? Astonishing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so how do you change that? Well, you know, again, it's, it's hard. I you know, have a whole chapter about how to talk to a conspiracy theorist. Well, first of all, you can't just say, you know, you're full of shit and this is all bullshit, right? Because then you're, you are actually part of the, you know, an agent of disinformation. So just I, I think of it as just, just asking questions. Like, I'm just curious, you know, where did you hear this? You know, well, I was watching Alex Jones or I was listening to, you know, Fox News. Okay, well, you know, what's the evidence for this? And just keep probing by asking a lot of questions. And, uh, you know, and again, it's not that no election's ever been rigged. They have. And it's not that there's never any election fraud. There is a tiny bit. But that, you know, if one way to approach that is, I, I like this quote from Christopher Hitchens. You know, if you hear the Pope saying he believes in God today, you think, well, Pope's doing his job again today. But if you hear the Pope saying, well, I'm having some doubts about God's existence, you think, huh, he might be onto something because he's supposed to believe in God and he doesn't. So if you hear Attorney General Bill Barr say, well, I turned the entire resources of the Department of Justice and looked into all the claims of election fraud and we found nothing. It was all bullshit, his words. Um then you think, well, okay. I mean, th- th- he, there's probably no fraud because if anybody would find it, Trump appointed, lifelong Republican, hardcore Trump supporter, and he says, I looked into it, and he had the, uh, the resources to do so. Whereas you and I can't really do anything about it, right? I, I've talked to many Republicans. Oh, I think the you know in Arizona, you know that that they the, this happened and that happened. How do you know? I mean, who would you call? I mean, did you go to Arizona? Did you call the uh, whoever you'd call, right? The the uh, general uh, attorney general of Arizona, the person's charge of elections. I mean, I wouldn't even know who to call. Do you? And most of no. It's like, how do you know? Well, I heard on, uh, you know, you know, Tucker Carlson was pointing out. I'm like, okay, you know, that's not a good source, right? And but somebody who is has the resources and would be biased to find it and didn't that that shows us it's probably not. Rigged, and I would I just point that out. Yeah, we had uh, I had uh, Jesse Morton on, who was a uh, f- uh, he was a terrorist, and he he put together the recipe for the Boston Marathon bomb, um, and he after that started working 
to get people out of terrorism. And he said the same thing, that it worked so well because he could speak to them on a certain level and they could trust him. I do that too, like with uh, gun control advocacy or um, creationism, climate change. You know, I was in the 80s, 90s, you know, when I was hearing about you know, the the coming catastrophe, peak oil, the rainforest will all be gone by the end of the 80s, and on and on and on. None of it happened. And I, early 90s, I I don't know if this climate, global warming thing is real. You know, I'm just going to, I don't have a dog in the fight. It's not my field, but I'll just be uh, agnostic for a while. And then by the mid-2000s, you know, like, okay, I think there's enough evidence now, accumulated from many sources, uh, convergence of evidence, lots of different fields. Okay, I accept it. Right, so, but but I'll start off by saying, you know, to a climate skeptic, I was I was pretty skeptical too. I mean, for good reason. And I'll say what I just said, and they go, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Ch- oh, what changed your mind? Well, I looked at this study and that study and this lab and that science and blah blah blah. And nope, okay. So that kind of eases them into thinking, well, he was like me, and he changed his mind. Maybe it's okay if I change my mind. Or like with creationists, I don't give him Richard Dawkins' book to read. The God Delusion or whatever, or a book on evolution, because they think, oh, he's an atheist. I give him uh, Francis Collins' book, you know, the head of the Human Genome Project, the head of the National Institutes of Health. He wrote this book, The Language of God, about evolution. He explains the theory of evolution just as well as Richard Dawkins does. And, it, and he's an evangelical born-again Christian. And he goes, it's okay to accept it. This is how God did it. Oh, this guy's on my team, and he says it's okay, so I guess it's okay, right? So it's a it's a, <laughs> you hate to think that that's what you got to do, Cause, but the evidence rarely just speaks for itself, right? It's in a context of some some uh, worldview or some moral values people hold, you know. Because if you talk to a climate skeptic, you know, all of a sudden you're talking about free market economics and socialism, and it's like, what does that got to do with CO two gases or melting glaciers or whatever? Nothing, right? But this is what's in their head. Because they don't know anything about climate science. I don't know anything about climate science except for what I read secondarily. And, you know, it's not my field, but it's tapping something else. Because, you know, back in the day, it got bundled with Al Gore and the, and the Democratic Party because of his film, Inconvenient Truth. Like, oh, climate change. That's that Al Gore thing. And he's a Democrat. He may even be a socialist, <laughs> right? You need someone from your your side i think i mean i've i've even tried i i've once or twice once or twice tried sort of half debating flat earthers and i i don't know the science and and any science that i do know is taken on faith because i haven't done the studies i'm taking it on what what i've been told which is the earth is uh, almost spherical with some bumps and and things like that but i don't have the vocabulary and and the certainty to make a real argument against one of these people who's that that certain have you have you found yourself in in the flat earth sphere so to speak yeah, we did a whole issue. Let me see if I can find it on the, the Flat Earthers. Yeah, here we go. This is one of my favorite covers we did of Skeptic, right? That's oh. exact, That's actually what they think it, it's like. Like this dome here is where all the stars and planets are. Yeah, so we have dealt with that um, only because it became popular on on the Internet, right? I mean, they were around back in the 90s when we started Skeptic, but, you know, there's like three of them, <laughs> right? There's nobody, you know, mimeographed little newsletters. Uh, but with the internet now, you know, everybody can have a huge following. And so we felt, well, okay, first of all, who are these people and what do they argue? And you can watch that great Netflix uh, documentary, Beyond the Curve, I think it's called. Um, you know, they follow they follow that guy around. And uh, you can really hear their argument. So we just lined them up. Here's what they argue. Here's why they're wrong. And then, you know, why are they saying this? Well, there's a lot of biblical literalism in there. You know, the Bible seems to say that the earth is flat and so on. So um, we deal with it just like, okay, what are the arguments? And, you know, here exactly is what we know and and how we know it. It's not rocket science in this case, sometimes literally. Um, uh, But, you know, but but it's pretty straightforward. But it's interesting that somebody could go down that path and convince themselves uh, which is what you know. Uh, example I use of the new conspiracism, which is the conspiracy theory without the theory. You know, even flat earthers have arguments, right? Somebody like Trump, who says, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, or one-word conspiracy theories. You know, rigged, <laughs> and everybody knows what that means. And w- what's the evidence? People are saying what people? A lot of people. 
Okay. It's the end of the story. The, even the flat earthers have like, here's our 12 arguments, you know, that the, the curvature of the windows in the jetliner makes it look like the earth is curved, even though they're curved this way and the earth is curved, you know, whatever their argument, at least they have arguments, right? Water. How, <laughs> how does water bend in the oceans? That's one that uh, oh, is right. too complicated <laughs> for me to, to have a rebuttal. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But it's good to have a rebuttal. Actually, uh, you know, it's good to have some facts. You need both. You need both the facts and the theory and then what the context is for why somebody believes it. Is God the ultimate conspiracy theory, uh, the idea of this sort of uh, f spiritual thing that conspired to create all this? Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, it may not quite meet the technical definition of a conspiracy, but it's a kind of overarching explanation for everything so yes it would kind of fit that larger mold of um, you know this is what conspiracy theories in part do they explain things that are otherwise inexplicable you know the world is pretty random you know if you like leonard Melendow's book that i use in my class the drunkard's walk he shows how much of life is just random and it, and that doesn't feel right you know our brains are not well wired to understand randomness you know, you look up in the sky, you see the constellations of the stars. That's what randomness looks like. It looks like clusters of things that uh, look like something to our eyes. Um, you know, gamblers are just certain that they find um, patterns in the randomness of, of gambling. And, you know, the random, the, shuff, the random shuffle on the iPod when that first came out. You know, Apple got complaints from customers. You know, it's not random. Certain songs come up more than others. Like, yeah, that's randomness. You know, if every song came up the exact same number of times, we'd have to program that <laughs> to make that happen. <laughs> right. So, so much of life is random. And we're not good at uh, figuring that out. I mean, people, if you have people flip a coin in their head and just give us a run of 100 heads and tails, They'll mostly go like heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, tails, heads, heads, tails, tails, you know, just small little runs. But in fact, in a real uh, random coin flip models of, say, 100 or 1,000 flips, you have streaks of like eight, nine heads or tails in a row pretty regularly. Like every, you know, 50 tosses or so, you get a run of like six, seven, eight. And that doesn't feel random to people. It feels, some, you know, you get these cancer clusters there's something going on. You know, a lot of people in this neighborhood got this weird cancer. Well, it's probably random. Uh, but, of course, in, well, what's the company that was an industrial company that was working here back in the 70s? And, you know, we know companies conspire to, you know, dump toxic waste without having to pay for it. And that's what caused the harm. It's kind of a conspiracy. You know, that has happened, right? So, again, we can't just dismiss it. But uh, you have to you have to control for the random factors, which it's hard to see. So conspiracies are kind of a way of of uh, obviating the difficultiness of randomness that we don't grasp intuitively. Pattern the pattern seeker within us just finding like okay, it must be because of this thing, and sometimes it just happens. And I, don't, I guess we don't like that feeling of being uh, out of control. One thing I really liked in your book, you mentioned that uh, people who believe in in conspiracies are also more likely to believe in, con in, in contradictory conspiracies so that people who think moon landings were faked uh, also think that sort of alien structures were found on the dark side of the moon. So what is really going going on here? So and I, I know what you're saying about, you know, people don't necessarily really believe the conspiracy. It's more like a proxy for some sort of tribal urge. It's their team that they're supporting. But then they actually go and confront the parents of the Sandy Hook victims, uh, victims or they appear to really believe both that we've found structures of aliens on the dark side of the moon and that we've never been there and we've faked it. What, what are they really thinking <laughs> right. in their heads? Yeah, that's that's a favorite one. My other favorite one is, you know, people that think Princess Di was murdered also are more likely to think she faked her death. <laughs> she can't be both dead and alive. <laughs> right. So, well, we think there is it's kind of, again, a, a deeper worldview or kind of conspiracist paranoia, constructive conspiracism that I don't trust anybody or I don't trust the media or I don't trust traditional sources of knowledge, you know, the government, the royal family or the government or the CDC or, you know, Anthony Fauci is, the, you know, the new target now. I don't trust anything he says because he lied. Well, he lied. Okay, maybe he was mistaken or maybe he he lied for a particular reason on the mask thing, whatever. 
you know, so then, so people are just saying, look, I don't, I don't trust it when, when there's some authority. And science has now, you know, lost a lot of trust, public trust. You know, scientists used to be way up there with, you know, teachers and policemen, you know, back in the day of polls of, you know, who do you trust the most in society? Now, not, not, no longer. I mean, people, you know, scientists are, are kind of low down on the trust scale now along with scientific institutions that used to be very high in trust. So when somebody says, I think X and Y, even though they're contradictory, really it's not the specific one. Again, it's like a proxy. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. It's what it's tapping into. There's something else that I don't like about the source, not the specific thing the source said. Is there an argument to be made that we we might blame the scientific community a little bit for that i mean i'm thinking of the um so-called squared hoax or the so-called hoax and there was a so-called squared one which was james Lindsay and helen pluckways with grievance studies where they put forward fake papers and they were readily accepted because they seemed to co- coincide with a particular ideology yeah that's right so <laughs> yeah exactly people fall for things like that because it fits a, a particular narrative uh, and it's the narrative that's holding together the kind of disparate um, factors in life that otherwise seem inexplicable. I mean, just t- take e- economics, you know, like we're going through you know, inflation and and uh, recession and the stock market and this and that. You know, what what is the explanation for this? And economists don't agree on this. You know, this isn't like some simple physics problem. You know, so you have these kind of left-leaning economists and right-leaning economists and you know, the truth is, is that a lot of the economy is kind of random. There's just kind of these random fluctuations that nobody really understands. And that's kind of frightening, right? The the idea that it's, you know, 12 people in, in London called the Illuminati running the world, that's kind of scary. Even scarier is that nobody's running the world. <laughs> Nobody actually understands it. And it's like, what? <laughs> that's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. In, in in your book, actually, you write that in the book. And I that actually scared me. I felt it, it reminded me a little bit of when people say to you, like, you know, the 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 sky isn't necessarily up it's just gra- gravity's pushing you like this way but if gravity stopped working you would fall into the sky and that's really scary thought oh my word if it stopped i know gravity doesn't work that way but the same thing like oh what, no one's in charge we're all just sort of bumping into each other and, and until we die that's that's very scary <laughs> yeah for sure yeah so i guess religion would <laughs> would be kind of the overarching thing back to your previous question about god religion really serves that role you know we have the explanation Explanation. Well, what happens when I die? Here's what happens. Okay, they don't know that. Nobody knows. You know, nobody knows for sure what happens. Maybe you end up somewhere place else. Maybe not. Uh, but you know, it's more comforting for somebody to go. We know for sure this is our truth. And it's a different kind of truth than an empirical truth. You know, I'm willing to cut some slack there to people say, well, it's mythically true or it's psychologically true. It's true for me. Okay. You know, it's, whatever gets you through the night. I mean, it's a you know, life is hard. Again, shit happens, randomness, uh, entropy, second law. You know, it's, it's just all running down, and it's going to run down and continue to do so till the end of time. So you know, do the best you can. <laughs> On that depressing note, Michael, <laughs> where, where, can, where do you want to send people, uh, you know, uh, socials, uh, social media and, and your book and where they can get it and stuff? Oh, well, skeptic.com is the webpage for my magazine. Here's our latest issue on this one's on abortion matters and the book skeptic.com and then the book of course you can always go to amazon or or go to your local bookstore by the way this not only spells conspiracy some people saw it spells c-i-a and i think soros is in there right (laughs) s-o-r-o-s george soros you know it's all it's all connected you've got You've got Spion as well, which I think would be probably Latin or something for spy. Oh, that's good. I'll look that up. All right. got to mm. add some more examples. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew. <laughs> Just off the top of my head there, there. There you go. Yeah, Michael, thank you so much for being on The Edge. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Michael Shermer. What an absolute joy it was to have such an esteemed scholar on my show. Do go check out his podcast, The Michael Shermer Show, and his skeptic YouTube channel. Oh, and get his brand new book, Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. I loved it, and it explains so much. Leave a review on Apple, spread the word, support me on patreon.com slash Gold, and get ready for big episodes with the founder of the Aryan Brotherhood. See you next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.